let me get this out of the way up front. Outdoor music festivals are not my thing. Days of baking in the sun, drowning in a wash of sweaty, trust fund kids getting bombed and shouting Imagine Dragons lyrics? No thanks. And believe me, I'm happy to apply that generalization with a broad brush. Or, I was, until I heard about Arctangent. Shortly after I started writing for Fecking Bahamas in the summer of 2014, I started hearing the whispers about Arctangent. Russian circles, this will destroy you, and so I watch you from afar. Alpha male tea party, Terramelos, enemies, three trapped tigers, TTNG, the physics house band. I could go on. With a lineup that good, how can it be that good? How is it even possible? I would have endured any amount of blistering sun and close proximity to a slurring college-age child of the 1%. The alluring thing, though, is that I wouldn't even have to. ATG is a different beast. The people are different. The atmosphere is different. And not just different, better. How was such a perfect three-day weekend created? How was it allowed to rise out of the murk of this cruel world as a dim light on the horizon to be sought after? In order to tell that story, I got in touch with one of the people who helped to write it. Uh, I am Jocko Callahan, and I am the founder and director of Arctangent Festival. Arctangent Festival, for those who don't know, is an outdoor music festival that takes place on Fernhill Farm in Bristol during the month of August. That's the OG Bristol in England. It runs from Thursday all through Saturday, and music starts right around noon with four stages cranking out tunes practically non-stop until around midnight. It's a 10,000 capacity event which has some very niche musical programming of a post-rock, math-rock, noise-rock, out-rock, musical lean. There's a few other genres that sort of go in that, into that mix as well, but we're, we're very, very niche. And then a few of the bands that come and play have described playing at Arctangent as being like Christmas Day for guitar geeks. Despite the number of Christ-like comparisons that could be drawn out of this figure seemingly being birthed into the world by a higher power for our salvation, this particular messiah has less immaculate roots. It's 2010, and Jock is doing consulting work for 2000 Trees, which is a festival created by six friends as a ground-up rethink of the typical outdoor music festival. It's there that she meets two of those co-creators, James Scarlett and Simon Maltis. So they're working together on the event, which is already doing well with a few years behind it, and they get to talking. Probably three, maybe three and a half years before we had our initial first Arctangent meeting, and that was when James and I met for a drink in Camden Town in London. Um, I can't remember exactly what the reason was that we met up for. It would have been something 2000 Trees related, but it was there that we, we began to spark these ideas of sort of a new festival. And then Simon and James uh, are immensely close friends outside of 2000 Trees as well. They've got you know a long history of friendship there. And I think they'd been discussing that there was you know, potential to start another UK independent festival. If we had to pinpoint where ATG started, this is probably a good place. Two of the three creators who helped craft the answer to bad festivals decided that their underground-centric event could be distilled down even further to a deeper, more specialized niche. These are two guys who learned event production on the fly as 2000 Trees was taking shape. But by the time Jocko Callahan is building the foundations of Bristol's premier post-rock, math-rock progressive festival, she's already well-versed in event planning. So where does that story begin? Oddly enough, with chopping firewood. I was uh, incredibly fortunate to grow up in a little wooden house in the middle of middle of a forest in Kent, um, which meant I have had a 12-acre woodland to play in as my, my backyard. The house that we lived in didn't have any central heating at all, so in the summer my parents used to invite friends over and we would spend time logging up fallen trees and putting them into storage for the winter months so that we could, could heat the house from a log burning stove. Now these, these 
we called them working parties, and these working parties meant that um, on occasion we'd have, well, basically every night that the working parties were taking part, we'd end up having barbecues and people sat around a campfire playing guitar, um, and then sound systems playing until sort of, you know, the early hours of the morning. And this this started around when I was the age of six or seven, and then at around the age of seven, I also realised that what I really wanted to do with my life was to create memories for people um, and that dream kind of escalated to me wanting to create memories for millions of people but not in a way that I was necessarily associated with being the person creating them but I wanted to give people the opportunity to go and experience something slightly different or have an immensely good time that they would then talk about for years later and that those memories became enhanced through their own process of storytelling and before I had this sort of party dream I actually wanted to be a lumberjack <laughs> so I think that's potentially the only other thing that could have come out of growing up in that environment. I started throwing parties from quite a young age I think the most significant one I threw was at about the age of 13 where I had a group of people all camped out in the woods and we had bonfires and you know a mini non-alcoholic bar and music playing until the early hours and this then escalated until um, I ended up running a small festival known as Jockstock. When I first threw Jockstock as a, a proper event, that was effectively a party for me having finished uh, university. And it was intended to be just a one day party with a handful of bands um, with an ad hoc sort of schedule as to who was playing when. But word of mouth escalated so quickly with this that I ended up with three days worth of music and 500 people turning up to this first ever event and I had absolutely zero event production knowledge at that point whatsoever. But it was almost like I had put a, a lit match on a can of petrol. It really just made me spark. There was something about it that made me tick. I didn't sleep for five days. It you know, massively lit a fire in my belly and I couldn't wait to do it again. So that spun me off, you know, running the event for the next four or five years um, and I then turned my career into working for events and experience companies to develop my skill set in a professional context. Then as a result of being made redundant I started one of my earliest businesses uh, which was offering various experience consultancy slash um, kind of area development for various festival festivals including 2000 Trees, Why Not and Secret Garden Party. And that then progressed into me starting Art Tangent with James and Simon. Even with prior experience, wherewithal, and the will to create a new festival, there are still so many things that could have gone wrong. Where ATG found its success was in a substantial amount of foresight and heart within its co-creators. There are over a thousand commercially viable festivals in the UK alone, but a lot of them last for a year or two years and then are never seen again. Um, but the competition out there is fierce and a lot of these copy and paste festivals are you know, sending people into a huge amount of debt because they've got it wildly wrong from the offset. They've not spent the time developing their brand or thinking through the production elements and they get caught out by it, unfortunately. We had our first Art Tangent meeting um, 18 months before the first ever ATG took place. And that was a very conscious decision that we wanted to spend pl plenty of time planning, developing the brand, working out exactly what it was that we wanted to deliver rather than rushing into something and you know over-promising and under-delivering. We wanted to sort of hit the, the UK festival industry with a bit of a bang. I don't know what you'd consider to be a bang, but that first event brought in about 3,500 people from all around the globe. 
That might seem small when you compare it to the mammoths in the industry with 50 to upwards of 100,000 attendees, but keep in mind, that's with huge corporate sponsorships, massive teams, and a slew of top 40s performers reaching back into the pantheon of pop stardom who, individually, would never even consider playing anything smaller than the world's largest arenas. I know that a lot of us can be so narrowly focused on our weird little subgenre that we lose sight of the enormous machine that is the music industry, but believe me when I tell you, the fact that we showed up to this thing in those kind of numbers is nothing short of astounding. Even then, this is not a numbers game. The true beauty of Arctangent is in the class of human it attracts and the dedication shown by those attendees. The Arctangent crowd, uh, you know, are, are geeks in the best possible way. They are so into their music. They know way more than I do about guitar pedals and, you know, amps and guitars and how you bring everything together, you know, and they can talk about the music in so much more depth than I like this song or I like that song. They talk about it to a really sort of geeky level. Um, <laughs> it's been illustrated a few times by the fact that you know the majority of the photos that the Art Tangent crowd take aren't of the bands; they're of the of the pedal boards. We have quite a few people that are, you know, complete and utter fans of the music that we book, and they will travel to Art Tangent alone because they want to come and see that lineup. But they leave with an abundance of friends, and you can talk to anybody in the crowd at ATG, you know. Stereotypically, if you're seeing 90 to 95% of your demographic dressed in black, beards covered in tattoos, you know, a lot of people would shy away from that crowd, but actually, you couldn't meet a friendlier bunch of people. The number of people that came to site that wanted to come up and say thank you, which is a, a first year festival organiser of a festival of that scale, when, when the people who have bought tickets come and thank you as organisers, that's quite an overwhelming thing to, to deal with. Um, I'm not somebody who's ever really put myself in the public domain and all of a sudden people knew my name and were coming to say hello and were wanting to spend time talking to me which was absolutely wonderful but at the same time quite overwhelming to to deal with when you're also running an event for the first time. Um, another thing that really stood out for me in the first year and I'm, I'm thankful that this has continued is that we've attracted an international audience uh, we've had people fly in from all over the world just to come to Arctangent and the fact that people are going to spend, you know, 10 plus hours on a plane and spend that money to get to Arctangent to come and see this weird little festival that I've created still to this day absolutely, you know, blows my mind. I'm, I'm forever grateful for those people for coming because it adds a really nice mix to the Arctangent crowd and, you know, to hear all these different languages being spoken and people crossing language barriers through, you know, you know, not conversation, but through like hand gestures and through music, it's a lovely sight to see. What drives that companionship and sense of community among the attendees is the driving ideology behind Arctangent. Had Jock, Sai, and James not been so careful in their planning or so sure of their aim, I'm certain that ATG would not be the wonderful, weird family it is today. When we first started talking about Arctangent and what it was going to be, this is long before we even had a name, we wrote down a set of core values, which we refer back to perhaps not as often as we should, but reasonably regularly. And basically it's about supporting independent underground music of a post-rock, math-rock, noise-rock lean. We sort of tongue-in-cheek described ourselves as music for beard strokers, but that's actually become quite the truth. And I don't mean that in the sense that, you know, a large number of audience have a beard, but I mean it as in the sense that it's music that really makes you think. It's music that isn't straightforward, 
it is a little bit more complicated than the norm. So I guess our our mantra and our core values are are still true to what we originally started planning, what was now seven, eight years ago, but they're evolving, which is really nice because they're growing with the festival and it's almost like the bands and the fans are helping us to, to do that as you know as part of their participation. We're learning about the event that we're running ourselves. Um, we want to give a sort of sense of ownership to the festival, to those that do come, whether it's bands, fans, crew, um, because ultimately without everybody's input, the festival wouldn't be a patch on what it is today. With a community-oriented mindset and the overwhelming response from the math rock community at large, ATG Year One was a huge success. It would be easy to point to the kind of music itself and say that there's something inherently unifying about the kinds of music we like, but the truth points to a more universal experience. Definitely the music is a part of it, but I think there is something quite magic about finding people that love something you do as much as you do without having to explain it to somebody when it's a deep-rooted sense of passion for something and a complete and utter stranger stood next to you or 10 people down in the pit are going absolutely crazy to the same piece of music that you've listened to on repeat for the last year, loving it as much as you do. You've got like an unwritten understanding there. And even if there's somebody you've never crossed paths with in your life, you have some common ground that is so deep-seated within your soul that you can't explain it. It's just... You know when that piece of music just really gets you and your you know your blood fizzes and you feel all tingly all over. If you're feeling that experience with like a bunch of other people, whether they're your best mates or people you've only just met, there's something there that is so powerful and so strong that you can't not love that. And that feeling was apparent to everyone at Arc Tangent, even one of its VIP guests who was not necessarily there for the music. There there was there's a moment in time that will forever stay with me and that was standing on the the main stage on the Saturday night of Art Tangent watching our headliners, which was Fuck Buttons at the time, with Simon James, Ollie, who's our production manager, um, my mum and my stepdad, watching the crowds just going absolutely crazy to it. Um, and I opened a bottle of champagne that I'd been given for my 21st birthday several years before, and just cracking that open and that sense of elate, elation and relief and that everything had gone well was just outstanding. and sort of in a slightly tongue-in-cheek way my mum had said to me when I was going through university you know if you if you haven't made it by the time you're 30 you would have had a really good time trying and at this stage I was something like six or seven weeks shy of my 30th birthday so I turned to my mum and said uh, so do I have to go and get a real job now and she's like no you've made it so that for me was just like icing on the cake of an already an amazing weekend um, so yeah that, that moment will stay for me, with me for the rest of my life. I think that puts a fine point on what makes ATG so special, what makes it different from your run-of-the-mills. Increasingly, festivals are a mechanism to make money or sell products or sell some kind of money-is-no-object, privileged, neo-bohemian lifestyle. If it's not clear, anyone in a math rock band isn't doing it for the money. Over and over, you hear this when talking to bands and artists in our subgenre, it's always a work of passion. It's almost certain to be a starving artist lifestyle. And that philosophy is a far cry from the glitz of your standard festival. Passion underlies every decision that goes into putting our tangent on year over year over year. Passionate people who schedule passionate artists for passionate fans. The confluence of goals in those three key parties are what makes the transcendent experience what it is. Perfect harmony.
We've been dubbed the secret club, which I've mentioned before, which is a really nice thing to have been called, if not a little bit Enid Blyton, um, <laughs> in the sense that it's, you know, a secret club is, is slightly childlike, but it actually rings quite true in the sense that people that come to Art Tangent do feel a part of it. And even with explanation of what ATG is about to people that have never been, only after they have been do they really get what I mean by it's a secret club. Um, and furthermore to that point, like if you know, you know, if you know about Arc Tangent, you know what the festival is about, you know what the music is about, you know that the, the crowd are amazing, then you know it. And if you don't, you, if you've never been and you've not experienced it, then you don't know. Even as much as you think you know, you don't know. You have to just come and experience it firsthand. 